Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I just lost a whole morning watching a video of a squirrel slowly getting drunk, eating fermented pears. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I can safely say I'm more focused than a wobbly rodent here on Big Squid. Today's show, Ben Elwood returns for our second-to-last Christopher Nolan rewatch as we cover Dunkirk. I kind of can't believe we're up to the second-to-last movie. Like, I knew we were. <laughs> like, it's not that much of a surprise. But to say it out loud is like, oh, God, yeah, we're finally kind of getting there. That means Tenet is not too far away. So remember, we've been giving you time to see it, specifically people in places that haven't had the opportunity. We're thinking of you, Melbourne. So... Fingers crossed you've had time to check it out and you'll be able to listen to that podcast and not have to worry that you might start listening and then suddenly think, hang on a sec, I haven't checked it out. Anyway, that's coming up soon, uh, but today is Dunkirk and we have some surprising thoughts on this remarkable film. So keep your ears and mind open for that. I've also been listening to the new Elvis Costello album, Hey Clockface, and have some thoughts I'll share with you about his new album. Uh, First, some gig news. Actually, lots of gig news. There's been a lot of gigs recently, and there's some gigs coming up. Let's start with our second live Big Squid show on December 13. This one is our version of a Christmas gathering we've called FOMUS. If you prefer to celebrate the birth of Baby Yoda over Baby Jesus, then this is the show for you. We have a few guests returning from last time, including Richard Feidler, Georgia Mooney, Cal Wilson, and Ben Elwood. And we also have some new guests, including Alice Fraser, Alex Jay, and Rove McManus. We have some fun ideas lined up for you. So if you're keen to check it out, you can go to giantdwarf.com.au to buy tickets to see us in the flesh or watch online from anywhere in the world. The show is 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Initially, it said 5 p.m., but it, it got changed to 6 p.m., and that was because of daylight savings in Australia. So I'm hoping for everyone who's overseas that hasn't mucked you around too much. 
it kind of took me by surprise. There were some emails back and forth and I've been writing for the Actors Awards and uh, a few other little projects and it kind of got lost in the mix a little bit. But anyway, that's what's happened and that's why it's at 6pm. So I hope it hasn't mucked you around. For people in Australia, it feels like it's the old school countdown time slot, doesn't it? So hopefully that'll give you an idea of what mood you should be in when you sit down to watch us or come and visit us. Uh, these shows are relatively expensive to produce, so if you'd like to encourage any friends to check it out, I'd love to get some extra eyes on this. We had good numbers last time, and we need to keep building and just make it a little bit bigger. Get a few more people in there. Now, between you and me, I'm actually hoping to build this into the type of show which we could do like a, I don't know, like a four to six week season. Would you be into that? I feel like if it's like, a little season of it, then we can play around with the format and we can do some things. And it might be fun to have a show that you can check in with that isn't on a network. So that could be fun. But anyway, it's baby steps for the moment and any help you'd be able to throw our way by bringing people in is greatly appreciated. God, you wouldn't want to put it on a network, would you? Yeah, they would just butcher it. What are you talking about? Why are you talking about these things? Why don't you get an ex-rugby player to do some wacky stunt? That will get the punters in. (laughs) Will it? Probably not the right punters. Anyway, (laughs) December 13, Big Squid Fomus. We'd love to have you and your friends drop in. As for stand-up gigs, uh, I just finished one in Newcastle with Tom Gleeson, and that was a lot of fun. Newcastle's always great. It's a beautiful theatre there. My God, it's so stunning. I performed there for the first time, I think maybe back in 2004 as part of the Melbourne Comedy Festival Roadshow. And it's a real treat to go back and uh, perform to everyone in Newcastle and, and be on that beautiful stage. So I'm performing again for the last time this year with Tom Gleeson on December 4th at the Sydney Opera House. So Tom's show is fantastic, and if you'd like to come along, we'd love to see you. And then on December 5th, if you're out Orange Way, I'm performing at Grapes of Mirth with a bevy of good mates, including Diljay Singer, Cam James, Beck Charleswood, Nazim Hussain, Chris Ryan and Merrick Watts. These gigs are a lot of fun, and if you'd like to check it out, head to grapesofmirth.com.au. And then finally, for my hometown Adelaide, I will be back at the Rhino Room on the 18th of December with support act Suraj Kulaka. So it'll be nice to get back to the Rhino Room. Feels like like I was there in March and it feels like 107 years ago. <laughs> so I think that might be their last show for the year. Uh, numbers are small, well, they're not small, but, you know, they just have to be careful with all of the restrictions, etc. So you might want to get onto that quickly if you're keen to check it out. You can find details for that at adelaidecomedy.com. I reckon if we maybe sell out the first one, I think it's early. We might be able to put on a second one, but don't plan on a second one. That would be my hint. Anyway, so many shows. What is happening here? This almost feels normal. We're very lucky in Australia. Hopefully we don't find it too normal. I want everyone to keep disinfecting their hands and being very careful. I want everyone to keep being safe. But we're very lucky to be in a position to perform again. And I don't want to take that lightly. 
and I don't want to take that for granted, especially with friends all over the world in all sorts of deep lockdown. But uh, if you can make it, it'd be great, and please come up and say hello. Okay, let's have a chat about Elvis Costello's new album, Hey Clockface. The first song I ever encountered from Elvis was Oliver's Army, a song that would often just pop into my head out of nowhere and hang around for a day or two before disappearing again. Like, when I first encountered that song, I was really young, and so I didn't quite have the disposable income to just go out and buy an album. I had to be very specific. I had to, you know, ask people to do it for me. But it was a song that would just kind of sit in the back of my head for days on end and then you'd forget about it and then you'd be sitting there thinking, oh, what's that tune? And then you'd realise who it was or, you know, there'd be a lyric that would spark uh, the the rest of the song to kind of fully form in your memory and imagination. I was really into it. And basically, if I wanted to hear it again, I had to wait for it to turn up on radio or on the Australian TV show Countdown. We've mentioned Countdown before. For people overseas, if you don't know what Countdown is... Type into YouTube, Molly Meldrum, Countdown, and on behalf of Australia, you're welcome. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's really worthwhile checking out. But anyway, uh, when I became a teenager, I was listening to the radio one day, and then I heard the song, I Want You. I loved it so much, and it felt like something new compared to the power pop of Oliver's Army. I had a little bit of spending money, so I went to a record store, and I bought the album that that song was on, which was Blood and Chocolate, and Elvis became one of my favourite artists. Costello has always been an amazing musician and is underrated in a way. He often bounces around genres as deftly as Bowie, and his growth from the punk days to his elder statesman status has been fascinating to watch. I have to admit, I haven't loved all of his albums, but not because I think they're bad, but sometimes he just plays in genres and styles that I'm not necessarily that interested in. But I always give his new albums a couple of goes before I make up my mind, and I'm rapt to say that his new album, Hey Clockface, is fantastic. Elvis is 66 now, but the fire still burns in his belly, and the first single, No Flag, returns to his punk roots. It's a song that rolls along to a thunderous beat with a lyric that could be about the end of a failed relationship against the backdrop of a world decaying politically. Costello has said in interviews that he sang live on the studio floor and the musicians weren't afraid to play loud and jagged or intimate and beautiful. Have a little taste of No Flag. When Costello says he wasn't afraid to play jagged, you can hear the fuzziness of the song on the edges, making it vibrant and dangerous. This is an album that feels to me like it would fit in well amongst his run of albums that include Blood and Chocolate, Spike, Mighty Like a Rose and Brutal Youth. I loved those albums because they didn't really follow the path you expected. Every song kind of stood alone, but as a whole, it's still held together. It's, it's amazing to kind of listen back to them and and witness that and kind of experience it. And this album is no different. Check out the spoken word timelessness of Radio Is Everything. It's a song that can, I feel like it can only be truly appreciated if you've come home from a long day of work, you've put your feet up on the lounge as the sun has nearly set and the shadows have invaded your home. I Do, Zula's song, feels like it could accompany an episode of Perry Mason, a battered suit that covers a coffee-stained white shirt with a lipstick stain fading on the collar.
While the last confession of Vivian Whip recalls the album North and the work Costello made there. As I said earlier, Elvis has always been eclectic and a fascinating artist. I love his use of words, his desire to march to his own beat, and as he grows older, it is inspiring to know he hasn't become wearier. He's still as whip-smart as anyone in the game and refuses to rest on his laurels. Hey Clockface sounds like the album of an artist who has done it all, but refuses to look backwards when the future still holds so much mystery to explore. In May and June of 1940, the German armies had managed to trap 400,000 English, French and Allied soldiers in a town where the only way they can escape is by sea. The problem is that Germany owns the skies and bombs the warships that try to save the soldiers on the beach. They drop pamphlets from the sky that terrorise the young men who desperately want to escape. But even though they can almost see home, they will need a miracle to return. This is the story of Dunkirk. What has happened is a colossal military disaster. We shall go on to the end. We shall never surrender. The call went out. We have to go to Dunkirk. Ready on the stern line. What are you doing? You know where we're going. Into war, George. I'll be useful, sir. He's on me. I'm on him. The ship's about to leave. Down you go. They need to send more ships. Every hour the enemy pushes closer. They've activated the civilian boats. Civilians? We need destroyers. Where are we going? Dunkirk! I'm not going back. If we go, they will die. You're weekend sailors, not the bloody Navy. You should be at home! There's no hiding from this, son. We have a job to do. Turn it around! She'll fight on the beaches. She'll fight on the landing grounds. We shall never surrender. We shall never surrender. We shall never surrender. Where's the bloody Air Force? I had a different opening question for you in mind, but as I was writing this up, you know, we are at this point a few days after Joe Biden winning the US election. Mm -hmm. And I rewatched this movie while the election was still up in the air. And it kind of left a certain resonance about people from back in history and where we are today. And I was wondering, (laughs) uh, what were you feeling watching this movie? Yeah. 
in the present climate. Uh, it's it's funny you say that because you know uh, I think you could. I, I think some people have argued that the, maybe the last couple of minutes of this movie is a little hokey or sentimental, and I think that's not necessarily true. I think that's in contrast with everything you know the ninety minute fucking anxiety attack that's preceded right. it. That when we finally slow down and go, oh, you know, hey, people care about each other. It's it, it's it's not jarring, but it's definitely a tonal shift from yeah. But I did have that moment where all the, the yachts and the boats arrive at Dunkirk and it is so rousing and beautiful yeah. and it's like, oh my God, you know, these day sailors are risking their lives to help out. And I did have a moment where I was like, I don't know, this had happened today. I don't think, I don't, I, I'm not sure it would happen on this scale today. I think the politics of the day, and hopefully that's what's changing now, uh, hopefully Trump losing is a repudiation in the main of cruelty and selfishness and all the rest. Um, but definitely between the years 2015 and 2020, I'm not sure uh, that uh, had they summoned a whole bunch of people to help out that maybe it would have. I don't know. It, it does make you wonder if it's like, you're not taking my boat? Yeah. I paid... I paid good money for that. Yeah, well, when it's the, not my kid. Yeah, yeah. When Mike Rylance is dragging all those sailors covered in oil in, yeah. I'm thinking, oh my god, the upholstery of his boat's fucked now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the sequel to Dunkirk. Is is a, a, an hour forty of him trying to clean well, shit up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I wonder if that kind of self serving mentality would take precedence over fuck. I need to, you know, really go and risk something. There, there, there just seems like the sense of. I, I think the Trump era and Trump and everything is a real kind of uh, doubling down on that idea of rugged individualism and me, 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 and that communal spirit, which has been um, demonized by the labels of socialism and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's got a dirty kind of ring to it now in the discourse. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I wonder if, um, I wonder if you could rouse people on that level to be so self-sacrificial. It's a it's a really good question, and I, and I I make this next joke knowing full well that we all suffer from this on a, a certain level. But I could imagine now, you know, we're going to need your boat. It's like I have to be honest. I'm feeling quite anxious, and I just need to share my feelings. And today's not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we do it tomorrow? The it's funny the idea of the ending being hokey because not everything quite works out yeah like uh, i've got it i've got this in the facts later on but the the movie ends and the next four years of farrier's life are fucked totally and he maybe never sees england again totally and harry styles character is a kind of interesting character because he reveals himself to be quite xenophobic yep. and lacking empathy. Mm-hmm. And the reason he is those things is because he feels this immense guilt. And there is a scene when they're on the boat and they're covered in the oil yep. and Tommy looks over at him and he looks ashamed. Yep. And then that's not even taking into account once he's on the train and how he can't even bear to read yep. what's in the paper. Yep. So I don't think it's hokey at all like the the and god the poor scottish pilot when mm. they get in and who gets yelled at which yeah, is yeah 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 you know that some more facts well, coming up yeah. a little bit later you know that was something that actually yeah. happened and and have i i don't think it's hokey at all and i don't actually think it's sentimental but i think it's a word that you used earlier on which is 
you see a level of decency yes. that we now mistake for hokey or sentimental. Yes, that's, yes, I think that's the point. And I think it's really interesting that um, that thing you said about Harry Styles, Harry Styles, the moment where he's ashamed. And there's, it's a clear shot where he yeah. looks down. And I really read that as, you know, I mean, it's obviously not designed in this way because it was made before all this started. But I think uh, it's a real, that one moment, is almost like a total indictment of the idea that you can hector and shame someone into having a conscience. Yes. I think... Uh, sorry, what's the what's the young young guy? The, the, the main one the that main we follow? One, That's yeah. Tommy. Okay, so Tommy. You know, I think if Tommy had, like, stormed up to Harry Styles in that boat and gone, you piece of shit, you're a fucking asshole, you let him drown, da, 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 that would start this whole ratcheting up of like, well, no, fuck you, I was, you know, doing what I had to do. The fact that he just looked at him and like a human being, you know, it, it, it's just, almost like an agnostic look that he gives him because it's, yes. the, it's the look of, there's a slight bit of like, hey man, you're a fucking asshole, right. but I also understand we were under major duress and in a crazy situation and instead of succumbing to your better angels you succumb to your worst and but who am i to judge because fuck man this is a crazy moment that we're all stuck in and i think it's that lack of condemnation from uh from tommy from tommy that makes harry styles actually look at himself for a minute and i think that's a lesson that we could all take into this brave new world that we live in that maybe getting up in people's faces is not people double down they start yelling and then it just turns into a shit fight where nothing is actually heard yes exactly and uh i don't think you should ever tolerate the intolerant no but i also don't think using the Weapons and the game plan of the conservative, nasty political mm. right is actually helpful to the left wing cause. Yeah, totally. And I think it's about, um, or even the moderate cause. No, uh, yeah, and I and I think the only way is to try and empathise in ways that are uncomfortable, uh, but. You know, you see those photos all the time. You know, and they look—they look like Renaissance paintings of you know the, the 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 riot divider. And on one side, it's all people dressed in red with cowboy hats and Trump signs screaming, and on the other side, it's people with Biden signs and they're screaming. And it's just like, is anyone is anything getting through to anyone? Like, yeah. what what are you really achieving here? Yeah. Um. And and it's not to say that a, maybe a calm conversation would achieve anything, but it probably has a better chance of achieving something. Well, Some moment of like, yeah, okay, I get it. Your life's been decimated. You got sold a, f- a faulty bill of goods with this dumb American dream, and now you're 60 and nothing worked out, and you're fucking angry. I'm not saying that you're the, who you're blaming is correct, but I can maybe empathize with the rage or the feeling of how you got being here. abandoned. Yes. And maybe if I can empathize with the feeling of how you got here, we can start to have a conversation that isn't just me condemning you and basically saying you need to fuck off and die, which is kind of a lot of the rhetoric coming from both sides. Yes. You know, you are the Antichrist and you need to fuck off and die. Yes. And if you get in any power, we're all going to be in fucking concentration camps. It's, it's funny, terrible. There was an argument over the weekend which you were seeing some right-wing pundits say, oh, look what happens when we lose. There's no riots. Mm. When you lose, there's riots. And it's mm. like, yeah, but when that side loses, they lose more rights. And when you lose, you go home to your house mm. and maybe pay a little bit more tax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So it's a bad argument. It's a, it's a, yeah. I mean, and, and thank God. I mean, it was almost like they were trying to incite that. Because I think that was the big fear during the election, right? That there was going to be major violence. I still have that fear. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, 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 by no means, we're recording this, what, on like the, 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 the 10th of November. This yes. could still all go very, very yes. fair shape. I mean, Trump this morning fired his yes. Secretary of Defense. What the fuck does that mean? Yes. You know, what the fuck is he trying to pull? You've only got two months. Mm. You have something. Yeah, you got something up your sleeve. Um, I have my theories on what he's going to do, but anyway, we'll, maybe we can talk about that later. Um, but yeah, I, 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 you know, thank God there was no violence. Yes, up until now. But the uh, the decency that's inherent in this film, and mm. I think that's what it is based on. It's it's about decent people doing, trying to be decent in yep. indecent times. Yep. We'll get more into that a little bit later on. Uh, this was actually the question I was going to throw this to you. I think this might technically be Nolan's best movie. Really? Yes. I'm like wow. Interstellar's my favorite. Yeah, right. And you what you mean like on a filmmaking just as a canvas. Mm. Rewatching it and mm. like watching it because we're watching things with different eyes and trying to yeah. find new things to talk about movies that have been out for a while. Yeah. Just watching it as a piece of art. Yeah. I think it like I love Tenet. And we will get to Tenet. <laughs> yep. But I also view Tenet as David Bowie released a 78-minute album in the 90s called Outside, mm. which I love more than anything and I think is a masterpiece. But if people say to me, what's with all these dumbass characters and what's with this narrative that doesn't make sense <laughs> and what's with these weird noises, I don't like that, I would go, yeah, that's yeah. fair enough, and that's how I feel about Tenet. Yeah, this was made for the for, for the real fans, and you know, it's, you're either on board or you're not. And I get it. Yeah. I completely get it. Yeah. I found some. I've dis- I've discovered something that I'm very excited to share with you that might help unlock Tenet as well. Right. But I will save that for later. Right. A little bit of forward selling back from my radio <laughs> days, kids. But watching this film, I think this is. I feel like going back and reading what people loved about it and some of the criticism. I think people are missing a lot of stuff because yeah. it's minimalist yeah. and bombastic yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And I think it's full of character. Yeah, it is. The character beats just come at different places. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's sentimental. No. It's because, sentiment, yeah. because sentimental is that scene you just said. They, they get into land and Tommy goes up to Harry Styles and says, you killed our French friend and he saved us. <laughs> He was there for us. <laughs> he saved us. And you you did this. Yeah. You gotta look at yourself. You're I right, don't know what yeah. my accent is, You're, but Scottish, but yeah. that's right. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? And it's like um or yeah. you know, when that guy comes up and yells at the Scottish pilot, mm. you know, Mark Rylance comes in and says, You don't understand what I saw. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. saw him up there. He went down. He nearly died. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, sentimental. You're right. But you're this right. is actually Old school, stiff upper lip, uh, just decent and... Non-reactionary. Yeah, and I think everything from the music to the mm. use of sound to the action to the way it looks, to, I think it's a masterpiece and I think it's yeah. its best film. I think it's a... I think it's a... I was thinking this last night. Like, I think it's an expressionistic masterpiece in, like, that it's almost like the the reverse side of a Terence Malick film where it's about it's an experiential film yes it's not necessary and, and and this is only the third time I've seen it 
and it's been a few years. And this is only the first time that I actually was able to track all the characters and not just be lost in the complete fucking panic attack of what was happening. Oh, yeah. Well, um, do you remember the first time we saw it? We were yeah. sitting down the front. Yeah. And... I remember getting pins and needles in my arms because I was pushing my elbows back yep. into the seat so hard and totally. I actually thought for a moment I was going to have a heart attack and <laughs> I was at peace with that. I thought, like, if I can just get to the end of the movie and die, then... This is my Dunkirk. This is, this is, this is a good way to go. Because <laughs> the, the first time it is such a, it's such a full frontal assault. And, you know, a lot of those young English boys look very similar. So it's easy. To, similar with yes. a lot of war movies are like that. Black Hawk Down was like that. The Thin Red Line is like that. We well, had, Wait, who's that guy again? Fuck. And, and it's part of the point. Part of the point. The confusion of it all. But this time I was able to fully track where each one of them start and where each one of them end. Uh, and also the time skips were much more, um, uh, made a lot more sense to me this time. But it, I really had that feeling halfway through. I was like, oh, this, this reminds me of more of Terrence Malick than any other um, director because it is about how this thing makes you feel less about where we're going and more just like you are in a situation and, and you know, you've got to deal with this yeah. um, and you've got to deal with whatever it's bringing up in you, which is panic and, and, and <laughs> horrendous anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. And I think, I think because some people are just aren't into war movies yeah. or people like, you know, it's in one of my facts later, so I'll, I'll try to remember not to repeat it, but, you know, Nolan didn't see it as a war movie. He saw it as a suspense film. Yeah. And funnily enough, if you were going to put this on as a double with another movie, you wouldn't put it on with another war movie. You'd probably put it on with Gravity. Totally. Totally. And then all my teeth would shatter from the way I'd just <laughs> been clenching them for so long in the cinema. But it's... I, I think it's... I think everything about it is just a an amazing work of art mm. and without and it doesn't outstay its welcome. No, it couldn't it couldn't go for much longer than it does, honestly. No. Like and that's not you know that's no criticism of the film. It's just No, it, it's yeah. It's where it's at. Did you know the Dunkirk story that well before you saw the movie? No, I didn't know it at all. I vaguely like I knew the broad strokes of a lot of soldiers were saved, and yeah. it was a turning point yeah. in the war. Yeah, but that's I mean, all I knew. I know, I knew, it was, I knew it was a big part of like English folklore and um, yes. that kind of stuff. But no, not the specifics. Yeah, and so you were talking about following the film. Uh, it's dissected into three storylines: the week on the beach mm. for the soldiers, the day the boats took to sail to Dunkirk, and the hour the planes could remain in the air. So, so. Going by what you were saying from your first two viewings, mm, 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 mm. Do, you found that difficult to... First time I didn't realise what the fuck was going on. Like, right. I really didn't. I, uh, you know, uh, I, was, I was a dumb movie watcher and I didn't pay attention to one week, one day, one hour. And Even though the, it comes up Even literally. though it's right there, right in front of your face. But again, it was just that thing of like... And, you know, I, I, actually, I actually like that, that, you know, when I was younger, I used to go into movies and really deconstruct it and you know especially after going to um tv school you know you really get into the kind of form of how things are made whereas in the last few years it really is just about just sit there and let it go over you let it wash over you yes. and if you understand it fine if you don't that's okay you'll probably end up watching this again which is how i felt about tenant yes. it was you know half an hour in i was like i don't know what the fuck's going on and i'm beyond the point of trying to figure it out let's just have it yes. um so and the and the editing in dunkirk is so um 
it seems that each shot really does seamlessly flow into the next. Yes. Uh, it was only when, I think, oh, maybe three quarters into the movie where you start seeing repeated moments where I was like, oh, wait a second, this is, he's doing weird shit with time. And then I think I resented it because I didn't know. I was like, what the fuck? Are you just trying to be tricksy? Uh, and then uh, this time I was like, no, no, no. And then, and, and then, and then especially this time, uh, being fully cognizant of that um, juncture point where all three timelines smack into themselves. Oh, so and it's a perfect. It's perfect. So good. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, well, once again, we are uh, going over uh, some ground that we might cover a bit later. So, Pull me up if we mm. if I forget, but uh, the the scene that I really love, which is, oh, actually you know what I'll save it, but but because there's a specific question I want to ask you. By the way, it's uh, Lee Smith who is the um, Australian editor who edited oh, that right, movie, yeah. and he did a magnificent job. Mm. Um, was there a storyline that appealed the most? Oh, the beach stuff, of course. Right, I think that's the most relatable in terms of just kind of raw you know, reactionary human, you know. I mean, I, I can imagine myself cowering on a beach shitting my pants. I don't know if I can imagine myself in a, in a, in a right. spitfire going... Right. right. Um, I love the matter-of-fact dialogue. Like, there's that yeah. point where... Uh, God, I... It's, it's, it is funny. It is hard to remember the character's name. Collins is flying and he's like, I've got this, you know, he, he's on me. And you just hear Tom Hardy, just really cool, calm, collected. I'm on him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Comes in behind. Like, the, to me, the heroism in this movie is how matter-of-fact it is. Totally. totally. It's, not, it's not like, don't worry, man, I got you. It's yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got him. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, I think that's the thing the American war movies never get. It's like the guys that are doing those jobs are of a different species. They don't feel emotion... I, I mean, I can't imagine you're in some little fucking tin can that has an hour's worth of fuel in it. You know, I mean, I don't know that you can be succumbing to any kinds of extreme feelings, be it oh. terror or, <laughs> yeah, rah, rah, rah. I think you are just focused on the task well, and he, expecting to get shot out of the fucking sky anymore. Well, he's so, once again, he's so matter-of-fact when his fuel gauge has been yeah. cracked. Where are you up to? Yeah. Okay. Or he's like, are you sure short. it's just your fuel? Yeah, sure it's just a fuel gauge. Yeah, we'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for a bombastic movie, there are, I think, I think I like, the plane stuff because it is thrilling and it also it just looks beautiful yeah it's, it, 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 there it's were many times where I was out loud gasping like Whoa. oh so beautiful it's a, it's just, just as a quick side note um because you know it's it, it's oh, that's go- what this that's what we should have called our podcast side note we're very good at it <laughs> TM, trademarked. Don't take it, whoever's listening. I'm on to you. <laughs> quick Dunkirk side note. Um have you ever heard the uh, audio of the Apollo 11 astronauts when they uh, detach from the um, they're they're in the landing vessel yes and they're um, spaced on the moon that they're supposed to land in turns out to be a crater yes and they've got no fuel left they're yes. out of time and it really like you're watching the footage going they're gonna knowing full well that they don't yes you, your brain can't compute like there, there's way too much distance yes. and not enough fuel. And you can hear ground control being like, we're very concerned, uh, Neil, uh, you're running out of fuel. And he never once sounds like he's a man who's about to crash into the moon and die. Oh. Like, he's completely zen the whole time. That's... And how could you not be? Like, you, have, you would have to be that person to pull it off. That's funny, isn't it? So that's where I think the Ryan Gosling movie gets yeah. short shrift because yeah. it's, it's literally depicting yeah. what kind of person can pull this off. Totally. And 
it's funny. I think Apollo 13 is a great movie, but there is a scene that they made up where they all freak the fuck out just to no. give it something. And it's just a small scene where they just, you know, but they did that for movie making yeah, reasons. Yeah, yeah. But realistically, they were like, oh, well, well, we've got some gum here and we've got a pen lid and uh, we've got some gaffer. Let's get home. <laughs> yeah, totally. But the, how, how else could you? Like, if you were a normal, whatever, quote-unquote normal person, but, you know, you're, like, more driven by your reptile brain than your um, ape brain, you would just, like, you're on the dark side of the moon. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sitting here, I'm sitting here with both legs jigging and <laughs> everything's fine. Like, in, the, in the Ryan Gosling movie, because, I mean, I, 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 I thought that that was really pumped up. I didn't think that that was real. I was like, oh, they've really added this yes. up to... And then when you look at the real footage, it's like, no, no, they're not exaggerating at all. He literally landed on the surface of the moon yes. with two seconds left of fuel. It's unfucking believable Yes. Um, yeah, and you hear the real audio, and he's cool as a cucumber. In, in, a, in a spaceship that's fueled by a Nokia. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. It's amazing. Uh, for a bombastic movie, there are quite avant-garde scenes, such as the mm. propaganda pamphlets being dropped on the soldiers or yeah. the, more, the man who walks out to sea. Um, or or when, whenever the camera goes on its side and the water goes um, oh, well, I was, vertical, beautiful. I was about to say, were there any particular scenes that yeah, stood out to you? Those was, ones. Whew, they're they're well, amazing, it, it, they? Well, they're the real brain fizzes where you're like, I mean, it's, I, I, I haven't even really rewatched them. And my instinct just goes, oh, you've just turned the camera on its side. But when I was seeing it, it was so surreal that my brain was like fritzing. Like, what the fuck? What is that? Yes. When they're all pressed against one wall and the water's moving towards yes. it. I, I can't even describe it. Unbelievable. The uh, here's, here's a slightly lighter question for you. Uh, the first time we see Tommy, who's played by Finn Whitehead, who mm. I think is, they were looking for unknowns, and I think that kid he's great. does a remarkable job. Yeah. But the first time you see him, he's literally attempting to take a shit. <laughs> this movie could be a story about a kid who just wants to take a shit, and the Germans won't let him. So I think with all the circumstances he finds himself in, it would be no trouble taking a shit uh, when he's on that boat. When there's, right. that, there's a whole lot of instances where it would think it would just happen automatically. Maybe that scene at the end with Harry Styles isn't him feeling shame. He's looking at uh, Tommy going, you've taken a shit, haven't you? That's, that's, not, that's not oil on you at all. Um, I'm curious, why do you think Nolan started at that point? I think it's uh I think it's to remind you that this isn't really a war movie. This is a movie about just basic human survival. Yes. And what's a more basic uh you know, animal trait than shitting. Yeah. Eating, shitting and fucking. That's really all we are. Yeah. So, you know. I think it's a I think it's a really underrated yeah. throwaway moment that just reminds you that these are real people yep. doing real things. Because yep. you never, like, I can't even think off the top of my head movies where someone says, I'm just going to go to the toilet. Yeah. Yeah, and especially war movies. Again, it's because, you know, in a, in a, in a typical American rah-rah war movie, and a, 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 a character expressing the vulnerability of needing to shit, because when are you more vulnerable than when you're going to the toilet? Like, right. you can't do anything. Uh, would, you know, belie the kind of character that they're trying to put forward, this fucking uh, macho man. Uh, I think opening with a guy needing to take his shit, yes. you know, is... And, and then he never does. No. So in the back of your head, you're always like, oh, you poor bastard. Well, then he gets down to the beach and he sees the French guy <laughs> getting the shoes yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's like, he can't take a shit, this guy's watching. Yeah, 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 it's in the docking station, it's got to go back up. Oh, this is a disaster. <laughs> 
John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. And guess what? Vulnerable. Yeah. Get yeah. shot. Very vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> but you see it like, you know, like you, you see it when you go into a, a men's toilet. If there's a guy at the urinal, when you walk in, there's a slight imperceptible. I, yes. I really believe it's a primal thing. Yes. Of like, I can't defend myself if this guy decides to kick off. Yes. I, there's no logic in it. It's, it's purely caveman shit. But I, it really is. Like, I, I think it's... Uh, if you ended up in a fight while you were taking a piss, what would, like, I feel like my first move would be to piss on them. Yeah, of course. You just whip around and Yes. And then, and then <laughs> while they were dealing with that, I'd go completely. Dive between their legs, slide, nah, wet, wet and slip and slide on the piss through their legs. No, nah, I'd fight like a winner. <laughs> I, I choose to believe. No, nah, I'd probably burst into tears. Who am I kidding? Oh, no, I've pissed on you. This is awful. Why'd you start the fight now? Didn't even have time to stretch. <laughs> um, also, the, the, but the other thing is like, uh, so, you know, all jokes aside, he's just trying to go to the toilet. Yeah. And then you, it's so funny, isn't it? You have the the merest of seconds where you see one of the kids trying to take a cigarette yeah. and you go, okay, well, we must be following this battalion. And then like a minute later, bang, it's bang. just Tommy. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a bomb. It's an audacious opening because as you're sort of sitting there and thinking, Okay, I'll get my head around these characters, and then you go, oh, like, like ninety five percent of them are already gone. Yeah, so it yeah. it raises the stakes, doesn't it? Yeah, and it reminds you of the tr- like the 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 truth of war that like the, the the guy that survives is not the guy who's you know got the biggest abs who runs screaming into the fray. It's completely random. It's you know I, I remember you know when I kind of understood what my grandpa had been through in the war. Uh, and, you know, when I got him to tell me the whole story, it's basically just a series of lucky misses, almosts. If I turned left instead of right, I'd be dead. You wouldn't exist. Like, just on and on and on, just one after the other, where you realise it's just, you know, you're kind of, you know, you, you could think that you're doing the right thing, but you're literally running into gunfire. Like, yes. it's 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 completely random. And I think that's what's so terrifying about well, war. To- Tommy gets away from the Germans, and then Neely gets taken out by the Allies. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then those uh, those French soldiers, like, just kind of give him a look as if to say, get over here. Like, there's no, hey, you're all right? Yeah. It's, we've got a job, and you're getting in the way. Yeah, yeah, get yeah. over and get out. Yeah. So you, you mentioned the criticism that the uh, that the, that some people level at the film that it lacks characterization, but as I said, I think it's full of it, and you right. just have to be paying attention. Right. I have I have three moments that stand out to me, and I was wondering, do you want to tell me if there's any that stand out for you, and I'll see if I've got them, or do you want me to just throw them your way? Well, the, the one you mentioned earlier really struck me last night. The one the one where Harry Styles has that moment of you know, oh, I'm, maybe I'm not a great guy. Uh you tell me, what are yours? Um, so you're following Tommy for the whole movie and you're on his side because he's in danger and you see him go through all sorts of, as you said, near misses, mm. like that bomb that comes. Oh, God. And it, it's like it yeah. blows that soldier up. By the way, uh, Nolan really killed that actor <laughs> to get the get the shot in, in, in the camera. Um, but then, you know, they find that poor guy who's on a stretcher, yeah. they race him to a boat. Yeah. That boat gets sunk. That guy's dead. Yeah. Like, he was probably better on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> so then... Might be a quicker death in the boat. Maybe, but, yeah. but then they end up in the boat that gets 
sunk Torpedo. and not all of those people get out. Yeah. And then they end up... Like, there's so many near misses. So, of course, you're on his side. But characteri- characterization-wise, it's when they're all together and they're going to throw the French kid out and he just says, you know, I can't do it. We, he stood by us. He's on our side. And and he'll say, I'll, I'll live with it. And he, he doesn't at any point not say he doesn't want to go home when they suggest you're out next. And he's like, what? Like, no, yeah, I have to go. Like, it's not that he ever forgets that his desire is to get out of there, yeah. but that he stands up for that kid because he knows it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I know I'm two thirds of the way through this film, but you've justified me being on this kid's side. Yeah. 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 And it really, um, I think, I think that from, from all the stories I've heard about war from people who have actually participated in it, there does seem to be a moment where, you know, uh, you have to choose between survival at all costs or preserving your soul and what you can and can't live with if you do decide to do something just heinous, yes, just to survive. Um, there was a uh, growing up, there was a guy tangential to our family, uh, and I knew that everyone in our family had like hated him, just hated, which is very unusual for my family. They're very compassionate, forgiving people. Uh, and then at a funeral one time, this gentleman grabbed me and he dragged me over to a series of graves and he's pointing at them going, that's my wife and that's my daughter and that's my, like, just out of his mind. And my grandpa came up to me and, like, tore me away and go, don't talk to him. And it turned out, it turned out he was a capo in the concentration camps. Right. Uh, and for anyone that doesn't know what a capo is, that's a Jewish person who basically was recruited by the Gestapo to basically push their fellow Jews into ovens and drag out the dead bodies. Uh, and evidently, and of course, my family fucking hated him because he was yes. the ultimate traitor. Um, and I remember looking at the guy and having like a, a compassion for him in the sense of like, were you evil or did you just do this thing because you're weak and you were terrified and you wanted to survive and now you here you are at the end of your life. And I don't believe the universe cursed him and killed his daughters and his wife or anything. But here you are. Like, you're all alone. You're an old man. Your whole family died way before you ever did. And how can you not look at your life as this cursed thing? And was it really worth it to do all these just, just terrible, terrible things? Because I think we'd all like to think that if we were in that position, you know, hey, I'll kill you or you can be the guy that puts kids in ovens, that you'd say, well, just fucking kill me. There's no way I can do that. Yes. But, you know, you these things... Know. That, well, you, don't, you would like to... I, I hope I know about myself. Yes. But then you look at these genocides and wars and all these things and, and, and they are fully enabled by the enablers, you know. If, if everyone said, no, I'm not doing that, then it would never happen. Um, so, yeah, I think that raises really interesting questions about, you know, what you are willing to do to survive. And that moment where he says, he, I think he literally says, if I do it, I won't be able to live with myself. Yes. And he recognises that in the moment, even in the face of death. And you would hope that you are that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's a, and it's a great moment of, once again, the character. Yeah. And, and it justifies, well, I, I feel good about being on this kid's side. Yeah, but, absolutely. And Gibson's death is tragic as well. It's, it's funny because... Uh, Styles goes back to let him know, and then he just gets caught and gets taken under, and you go, ah, oh. and that's never mentioned, and that's part of the tragedy of it all. Those people who would have died, that nobody mourns, or mm. his family would never know what happened to him. Yeah, so of course, it's, it's just disappeared. So 
that's uh, that's one of my favourite moments of character. Mm. The next is Mark Rylance as Mr. Dawson, who shows real stoicism all the way through. Like about the only time you ever really hear his voice go up uh, yeah. is right at the start when he says, To war, George! Like yeah. that's about the only time you hear any loop. But then when the plane crashes... And he's trying to get to him, and his son Peter says, "Oh well, he's probably dead." And he and yeah, he snaps, bit, yeah, so. like he really snaps, yeah. and it's really jarring because you go, "Oh my god, where did that come from?" And then when millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Scottish pilot is on the plane. You you learn... Oh, his eldest brother was a pilot who went down the first weeks of the war, yeah. and this is what he's doing. He's trying to make up for everyone else's children that he couldn't for his. Yeah, yeah, he's trying to save his son. Like, what a great moment yeah, it's great. of, like, if if you don't pick up on that, I feel like you're not watching the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or first time round, you're first just so, uh, so, like, uh, by the whole thing. Yeah. I, I I get that, but but that, but that, that is a very clear character moment. Yeah, you just you just sometimes I think we're so conditioned, and I know we can make fun of Nolan with his non-linear storytelling and everything, but we're so conditioned to by the book linear storytelling that we forget that sometimes important beats can come later. Yes, and you just apply them. You just yes, go, oh yes, yeah, yes, well yes. that's why he yelled, and that's why he's doing this. Totally. That's that's why he's in this boat right at the start. Yeah, 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 why he doesn't let this, the Navy requisition his boat. It yes. has to be him. It has to be him because yeah, yeah, he yeah. couldn't save his son. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's great. That's great. Mark Rylance, I wish we were friends. <laughs> can, and, I, can I suggest the third one? I think I know what it is. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to throw this out there. Top three moments in any Nolan movie for me. Oh, okay. That's, that's a more complicated one. Let me get to that in a second. The, the Dunkirk moment, character beat, when Cillian Murphy asks if the boy is okay... That is so, and he is uh, given his, oh. you know, th- th- there's grace, and uh, and again, that goes back to that kind of like that thing that we all need right now, a little bit of fucking understanding. Like it- it's not that I-, I can't remember the 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 the, uh, the character's name, the son of Mark Rylance, yeah, Peter, who, who gives him that yep. forgiveness. It's again, it's the similar with Tommy and Harry Styles. It's not absolution; it is understanding. It is this guy was out of his fucking mind and I understand why he's out of his mind. doesn't mean that I'm not grieving for this dead boy and all this other stuff, but he didn't mean to do it and it wasn't 
a malicious act. It was an act born of fear and trauma. I actually had that later on to really dig into. It's 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 the only reason it's not in my top three is because a it would have been a top four, yeah. but it is. Um, I, I want to dig into that a bit later, but let's dig into it now. That moment because he's already told him off yes. before. No, he's you know no, he's not. Yeah. But then at that moment and and that scene like. The storyline of George, I'll be useful, sir. And he's kind of not. No, not at and all. And then he dies by accident. And then when you realise, and it's once again, in a in a lesser movie, that is played for tears. Mm. But it's just Styles looking up and going, he's dead, mate. He's dead, it's mate. Like, well, be bloody careful. And then they just push him to one side. And it's so tragic. And when Killian Murphy asks if he's okay... You're right. The moment of grace that that young boy gives that character oh, it makes me teary even thinking mm. about it. But then you go to the dad and there's a beat and he looks at him and he nods. Yeah. And then that moment, the right that little boy becomes a man. Yes, and yes, it's yes, such yes, a fucking yes. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, he goes and gets the story in the paper because he wanted to be yeah, in the paper. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, yeah. the, yeah, that scene is. That, I think that's the best scene beauty. of the whole movie. Because there's a moment, because it's a beautiful piece of acting as well, where you see that there, there's something that goes over his eyes where he wants to say, no, fuck you, you killed him. Yes. But he makes the choice. He makes the to go, choice. You know what? This guy. And then the, the, the terrible irony at the end is he sees the body being taken out of the boat anyway. But. Oh, and then disappears. Yeah. Like, that's such a haunting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was going to be one of my. That's why I was going to have it later, because mm. one of my questions is, like, what? What happens to that guy? Oh. And because he doesn't even get a name, he's just shivering officer. Mm. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier about you don't know what you would be like because we see him as the shivering officer, mm. but then we see that scene earlier before he yeah. gets to that point, and he is very practical and he is the totally. leader of men and he is calm yep. and he gives good advice. Yep. And then whatever happened in the meantime has ruined him. And I'm curious, this is the question I wanted to ask you. Does he see the body and register or does he dissipate into the night because there's just a part of him that can't even acknowledge that as the reality? Uh, both and all things. Yes. You know, I yeah. think, I think, I th- I think uh, you know, the power of a lot of these characters in this movie are that they are um, representational and, you know, they kind of are symbols of different mindsets in war and different ways of behaving and different ways of reacting. And uh, I think, yes, there's character arcs within that, of course, but I think what they, what each character represents as a symbol is so much more powerful yes. than their individual trajectory as, as that character. And that's why uh, you see him disappear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think that's what, what I was saying before about it being, you know, for me, it's a very expressionistic film. Uh similar to Terence Malick in that, it, you know, it, this is about bringing up feelings and emotions in the viewer and what would I do in that situation? And like the best of Nolan films, it's kind of like, it can be different every time. You can yes. relate to different things each time you watch it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, such a, and beautifully acted yeah, on, beautiful. on everyone's, yeah. like, Killian Murphy, like, gee whiz, yeah. like, such a, such a hard character to portray because in many ways you're not on his side. Mm. But, because it's it's a hard character to completely empathise with, but you do. Oh, you get it? Yeah. That moment where he stands up and he's like, wait, where are we going? Oh. Like, back to the war. Yeah. What? Even the way he yells is not, like, it, once again, it could have been, you should be at home. But mm. it's not, it's like, it's really kind of impotent. Yeah, Like yeah. this impotent rage. He's broken, yeah. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the fact that you see him, the first time you see him, you know, in that 
uh, crouched position on top. Like, he is a broken man, and he's yes. basically waiting to die. He doesn't know that that Boat's yacht coming. is about to come. He basically thinks he's going to sit on this boat until it sinks, and then he'll drown. Yeah. Um, he's, you know, as far as he's concerned, he's already dead. He doesn't even really acknowledge them when they first turn no. up. And it's, uh, there's a really interesting moment when George says, is he a coward, sir? And I was like, no, he's, he's shell-shocked, <laughs> yeah, and he may, he may never come back. Uh-huh. So my favourite scene is, and just Tom Hardy in the plane. Mm. All you can see is his eyes. Mm. He's running out of fuel. Mm. He sees the bomber. He sees the boat. Mm. He sees the soldiers in the water. And you see him do the math, and he makes the decision to stay, yeah. knowing full well he's never going to get. He's probably never going to get back to England. Yeah. And then the way the plane veers and the music swells, and it is fucking <laughs> perfection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is once again yeah. the decent thing to do yeah. because, like, even at the start, it's like, hey, make sure you still have enough fuel to get home, yeah. and. He knows yeah, this is it for him, but yeah. he has to do this or everyone's in trouble. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, and, that, and that being the point where the three timelines converge. So it uh, really does kind of um, hammer that moment home. Uh, it is uh, like it's funny feeling, having watched it a lot, but not for a while. Yeah. I'm just sitting here by myself and like feeling my chest constricting like... I knew this was coming up and I'm still feeling this great cry. Um, let's avoid... Uh, that's funny. I was just about to go straight into all the Killian Murphy stuff. We don't need to do that. Uh, How do you feel about Harry Styles in the movie? Um, uh, this time I, I really did, didn't like him, but that was not his being Harry Styles or anything. I think the, the character in itself is... Not the guy that I'd want next to me in Definitely. a situation like that. He's a prick. Definitely. <laughs> He's a fucking twat. But it's funny. <laughs> so, so I find his character... I think Styles does a really good job. Yeah. I have to be honest, when I heard that Harry Styles was in it, my first reaction was, ugh. And then I was like, hang on, why did I have that reaction? And then it was like, oh, he's in a band called One Direction. And yeah. I was like, I don't even know who they are. Exactly. They're a boy band. Ugh. Yeah. And then I was like, I've never listened to One Direction. And then I saw him in this and I thought... Oh, he's yeah. really don't, good. Don't be so judgmental, old man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was the same. And then I bought his album. And I listened to it three times. And I thought, this is not for me. But I thought it was a good album. But I gave it a go. And that's why uh, I, I try to be my best. I gave it a go. Yep. But anyway, I think his character is kind of fascinating. Because in some ways, he's the most well-rounded character in the movie. Mm. Because the first time you see him, he's about to get crushed by that boat. Yeah. He gets pulled to safety. And then he sees the two lads that save him dip themselves in the water yeah. and, he, and he smiles because yeah, he, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, I see what you're doing. Yeah. And then, but as the movie wears on, yeah. like when they go down and they, he's just eating that, it's like, hey, why'd your friend stay up there? And the look on his face when he says, oh, a quick getaway and you, he has that moment. And I feel like that little moment when Tommy just sort of says, very matter of fact, a quick getaway, it was the first time he's like, oh, this boat might go down as well, which it does. Mm. And then to end up on the boat that's being filled full of holes and mm. and the way he turns and like he's already before that, that moment even happens he's all frustrated and he's starting to lose his mind mm, yep. then the moment when he's covered in oil and you mm. see the despair in his eyes and his inability to like he can't even look at the people at the window because he's sure that he, he's kind of a fascinating character because yeah. you see a real just bits journey of how he deteriorates and you definitely like I'm like you you would not want him alongside you because mm. he's 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 projecting a lot of internal yeah angst. yeah yeah and that and that like con- trying to control a situation that is spun 
really out of control and not controlling it in that, you know, you want a Tom Hardy, you want a Mike Rylance, you want a Neil Armstrong, you want someone who's not getting emotional, not getting flossed and going, okay, we're in a bit of a bind. Yeah. (laughs) Let's uh, figure out how to get out of this, not pointing guns at people and demanding that they get out of the boat, um, which is not going to make a fucking difference at this point anyway. Yeah, and it still shows the xenophobia is present. You know, he calls him a stinking frog and it's like, mate, that guy literally saved your life. Yeah, he saved your life. Yeah. Two times. Two times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kenneth Branagh is great. Yeah. He's like uh, grim determination. He has wry humour. Is there a scene with Branagh that stands out for you? I feel, I feel like there's all these really lovely little moments mm. that I uh, enjoy. There's the moment when talking about the tides and the, uh, ah, it comes yes, every day. Well, it's a good thing uh, you're Army and I'm Navy. Yeah, and yeah, the way yeah. he delivers it is just there's just this... Slight little hint of humour. Yeah, I love when he the boats are coming over and he's asking where they're from, and he, there's just that moment. Where, and thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the end, when the boy is asleep, I know we're officers. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's, I think he's pitch perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the way he delivers the word home. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's very relaxing. <laughs> uh, once again, you know, I guess I feel like. Taken out of context, that is a moment that you could say is sentimental or... But, man, like, you earn it. Yeah, he's He's in a pretty fucked up situation. Yeah, but (laughs) but you also earn that moment because Mm. I've been having a heart attack for an hour and and it's not even... Like, there's still shit to do. Yeah. I like the moment. It's, it's, It's very tiny, but where he salutes in silhouette, where he's standing on the pier as they pull away, and it's... It's almost like that idea that the best idea that people do have of the military encompassed in one image, just this proud, staunch, this compassion, it's all things. And it's just done in a, you know, in that very confident salute that he gives. Uh, yes. And you can't even see the expression in his face. But to that, to me, that's like, again, back to that expressionist thing. It's like, oh, this is, you know... When we want to have a good dream about what the military can be, that's what it is. Not that some, is. you know, not Harry Styles screaming, you stinking frog. Yes. <laughs> the uh, James Darcy's underrated in this as well as the army yes. guy who is kind of his foil in many ways. Yeah. You know, even when he goes to repeat his line back, you can almost, well, that's not going to help us. You mm. know, all of that is. Yeah. But the look he gives Branagh as he's getting down realises what he's going to do. Yeah. Like it is, of course, you know, throughout history it is, dangerous to romanticise that a time before was better in many ways. But that particular thread of humanity yeah. and that stoicism and that decency does feel very old-fashioned and does, it does. feel lost. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so... At the, the, the very least, that we're not going to fucking stomp on someone's face when they're down. Right, <laughs> right. Which is very much the... Uh, <laughs> the, the by the way, just getting slightly off topic, you know one thing that has been making me laugh a lot and it keeps turning up in my timeline on my social media are the old people who are Trump supporters who are dancing to Rage Against the Machine doing the whole, <laughs> we won't do what you told us. And I'm oh, like... Oh, really? Yeah. And, oh, and I think... I think uh, who's the guitarist? Tommy Rubello? R- Romello? I can't yeah, think yeah, of his yeah. name uh, off the top of my head. Tom Morello. Th- yeah, he wrote on um, Twitter, uh, we didn't quite have this in mind when we created this song. <laughs> 
Anyway. Really, they're doing... Oh, gosh. Yeah, and they're just going back and forth and there's... Fuck you, you won't do... Like, that's sad when a 15-year-old does it, let alone a person in their 60s. Mate, Come on. That's so funny. Dressing your Trump gear. Oh, gosh. Uh, we've already talked about uh, Peter and George. Uh, so, I've talked a little bit about George being a... Uh, a tragic character, but he's remembered in the papers as having an heroic death. Is this... A, what What do you make of this scene? Is this a, a small example of the stories we tell ourselves to maintain spirit? Of them putting him in the paper? Yeah. or is, is there something... I'm not sure... I don't necessarily believe this, but I'm curious to know, is there something a little bit dangerous in changing a narrative like that to tell a more positive story? I think it's fine. Like, yeah, I think it's fine. I think it's them. I, I, I think for them, it's they, they, they probably carry a lot of guilt that they allowed a child to come along, you know. With them. And, you know, it's one thing to go, oh, we're going to war. But that kid can't fucking conceive of that. That's why armies are full of teenagers right yes. out of high school because they think it's they can't possibly conceive. Well, the right thing for them to do would be to turn, to pull yeah. right back up and get him off. But then the then officers the get yeah. his boat and he is fueled. The, yeah, by making up for what he couldn't do. Absolutely, yeah, and you know, they could have chucked a life vest on him and thrown him overboard, but you know, whatever. They decide to take him, so and which you know directly leads to his death, the only death um, on yeah. that boat. Um, yeah, so I think that they have to do that. I, I, that's probably look. It's probably for him. It's probably more for themselves, though. Yeah, commemorate it so it's not a complete loss. Only a few more questions for you. Do you think this movie, this movie, did incredibly well? Mm. Uh, it did. It did well in the states, but do you think it would have done even better if it had was a story about Americans, yeah, of course, or if there'd been some crowd pleasing moments, yeah, of course, added, you know, like maybe, maybe Tommy pulls out of his wallet a picture of his sweetheart that he left yeah, behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's waiting at the train station. <laughs> there the she final. is. Yeah, 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 for some reason, yeah. she's on the boat. <laughs> Turns out Peter is P E T A, and yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, the scene with the small boats, which we just talked about, coming up over the shore is a genuinely moving moment. Yeah. Were there any other scenes that kind of took you by surprise emotionally? Well, one of the scenes that is is weirdly emotional for me is when they're taking the guy on the stretcher and they come across the plank. And, and that's and beautiful. Yes, and the the way the guy just says, "Go on, mate!" Like, and then yeah, and have a run one, at it. Have a run at it. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah, have yeah. that little cheer. Yeah, which is yeah. that that feels emotionally correct yes 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 i watched it with my buddy last night and we both were um like very heartily laughing not at that scene but with that scene of like oh that's that 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 feels very real that in this incredibly tense moment this guy pulls off a hat trick like that of course everyone's like yeah yeah if for no other reason than just the need to have a couple of seconds of levity yeah you've been stuck there for days and you are stressed you know and that is every victory no matter how minor, is still a victory. Yeah. I think there's, the, the, there's that beautiful sense of old world decency as well, that they're literally lining up to get on a boat so that they don't die, and they are not elbowing each other in the face. They're not being savage. And then you contrast that with fucking footage of, like, Black Friday sales where people are murdering each other <laughs> right. so they can get $10 off an Xbox. And it's right. just like, what, 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 what is wrong with us? Yes. What, what's become of us? Um, I watched uh, Brave New World, which unfortunately got cancelled after one season. And it wasn't perfect, but it had really good ideas. I wish it had gotten a second season because I think it would have mm. found uh, mm. it would have found its voice a little bit better. Uh, but 
there is a really funny satirical bit where they go to the Savage Lands and it's America and they they watch uh, these people reenact the Black Friday <laughs> stuff and it's really funny. It's a really funny scene anyway. You see that stuff and it's just like, oh, there's no... They're, like, we're really fucked as a species. Yes. It's bad. I also really, really love the scene where the poor guy is... Uh, Collins is... Can't get out of his plane. Yeah. And you are... Like, you know the boat's coming for him, but you don't know. Like, this movie, you don't know yeah. if they're going to get to him in time. Totally. And when they pull him out, and as he's being yeah. held up, he's, he's just like... Hello. Good afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the most unexpected save of all time. Like, no, <laughs> but, he, but he's composed himself yeah. immediately, and... I love, like, that is such a small moment. But even, I feel like that's a really, like, I could have watched a whole movie about that character. Yeah, like, great. even when he's in the boat and he's like, come on, Faria, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. really, even the way they get excited at seeing the planes come over and there's this real, like, we are very privileged to live in a world mm. where the things that we can get excited about mm-hmm. are pop culture mm-hmm. and sporting events. Mm-hmm. And back then, Watching those pilots and knowing those people were fighting the good fight. Fuck yeah. Um, Priorities. Yeah. Nolan said he abandoned the conventional ideas of backstory and dialogue to explain why we should have sympathy for a character. And do you think this is why a movie like The Shape of Water won Best Picture over this? Which is <sighs> like, Jesus shit. Um, to anyone listening who likes that movie... You know this is a podcast where I don't like to shit on things because everyone has their POV, but fuck me. I hate that movie so I much. hate that movie too. I hate it. <laughs> Just as a side note, again, I don't like Guillermo del Toro. He, I find him to be the emperor with no clothes. And I think what I, I was talking about this with our friend Alexi uh, from Total Reboot uh, a while ago. And he's the same. He's like, I don't like Guillermo del Toro. And we're like, but why? Because on paper, he's everything that I love. I love monsters. And I love crazy art design and cogs and all that stuff. But there's just something about when he puts a movie together, it does not work for me. And when Shape of Water became this thing that everyone was like losing their minds over, I was like, I don't. Like it, it. It, it kills me as a lover of genre yeah. that that's the genre movie we all decided. Yeah. Like, I will give you this. I love the colour palette. Yeah, sure. And I love but, the monster makeup. It looks great. But I can't, like, no. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, this is a fucking masterpiece yeah, I know. that is important, that tells an important story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't even fucking you don't even <laughs> nominate Interstellar and you give it to the fish fucking oh, no, movie. No, unbelievable. Fuck me with this weird mixed metaphor. Hang like... on, I better write down. I've got to put explicit language in this podcast. <laughs> but it just drives me insane. Yeah, but and the Oscars. And you know what? Anyone who is listening, once again, I don't want to rain on your parade. If you really enjoy this movie, sure. Please write to me on the Big Squid Facebook page and explain what you love about it. I, we will not take the piss out of you, but I. Desperately need to know yeah. what you see in it because all I see is something that makes me really sad about movies. Yeah, I, th- I, I think for, <laughs> for people like us, it also has that sting because it is stuff that we like in other mediums. Yes, and I think I, I think I always think the stuff that you love in another medium when it's depicted in film or whatever that doesn't quite get there for you, it's extra upsetting because it's yes. like oh, all these ingredients are there. Are ingredients I like, but you've made it into a fucking souffle that tastes like shit. By the way, I just need to point out <laughs> how this 
getting angry about the shape of water <laughs> doubles down on my last comment <laughs> about we live in a world where we can be angry about the shape I of know, water. I know, I know, I <laughs> know. <laughs> also, the Oscars. I mean, come on. But I was sitting like, who gives a fuck about awards, you go through, right? You go to Wikipedia and look at Oscar winners of you know throughout history. Yes. And then you look at what they're up against. And it's always the things they're up against that are the movies that we remember decades yes. later. Like, it's never... You know. I just remember watching it and the further it went, because... It, you know what I'm like as a movie goer. Mm. I go in optimistic and I try to enjoy everything and mm-hmm. I stick with the movie right to the end. In the off chance, I say, well, that was shit. But the ending kind of took me by surprise. Like, mm. I'd rather have yeah, yeah, yeah. some feeling of... You, you were saying positive things about Just, Justice League. That's, that's how positive you are going into cinemas. <laughs> Look, we may have been pretty high. <laughs> I have this... You know what? I cannot wait for this Dude, I am... I, there's nothing I'm looking forward to more than the four-hour Snyder Cut of Justice League. I can't fucking wait. Not because I like Justice League. I love, I love Anne Randian, nightmarish Zack Snyder movies. I think they're let's, so funny. Let's do this. Like my one criticism is that it's not 24 episodes. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's uh, so funny. The So the actors are all age-appropriate. Yes. And British. And as I said, you know, when I heard about Harry Styles, I had a very old man reaction mm-hmm. to it. And then I watched it and I went, oh, I was wrong about mm-hmm. that. So as a little fun question for you, who's oh. the worst actor you can think of that could have been cast in this movie? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Is there someone that you just go, <sighs> like... We, I mean, you know, there's multiple options because, you know, if you went with anyone too big a personality, because I think it works that everyone's kind of like a little bit yes. vanilla. So if you put like a Nicolas Cage in a movie like this, maybe not the best fit. What about Tom Cruise in Kenneth Branagh's yeah, role? Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's okay. We can see home from it. No. <laughs> dial it back. I'm going to run on the surface of the water back home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Tom Cruise is Dunkirk. It's him ferrying people over on his back using, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> using the power of Xenu. I was sitting there and I was... It, it, like it's... <laughs> it was just a funny thing because they nailed Harry Styles and yeah. you go... Like, I guess an obvious one would have been, imagine if it was Justin Bieber or someone like Oy, that. Yeah. But anyway, do you have a favourite character in the movie? Um, oh, look, just for pure cool points, it's got to be Tom Hardy's. It's like a Steve McQueen role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact that he's so uh, expressive, as he is as Bane, you know, with just the eyes and everything. And I think I appreciate it a lot more this time as well, being fully... You know, every time it would flip scenes, I was like, oh, okay, this is, you know, when it would go back to the beach, I was like, okay, this was six days ago from what we yeah. just saw with the planes. So having that more linear, being able to break apart the three stories in a linear way in my head made me appreciate Tom Hardy's performance a yes. lot more. And something that we've mentioned about previous Nolan films released on Blu-ray, no sound issues. I could understand everything he was saying. Yes, I'm starting to wonder if it is... Cinemas. I reckon they remix the movies for the for the, the Blu-ray. Blu-ray. I really do. It's funny the uh, doing. There was a lot of research for this because it's factual as mm. well, and uh, we'll we'll race through the squid bits part. But uh, you know his uh, his approach to sound is fascinating, and mm. I and I think it is like I understand when people have issues with it, but yeah. I'm on his side, and everyone's wrong. I know. Yeah, <laughs> we established that. <laughs> I'll stick by him. This is I'm, we're going as I've told you before. We're going through Nolan's Bowie nineties era, where I I maintain the rage. I won't do what you told me. Um, <laughs> I kind of I kind of love um, I kind of love the Scottish pilot. I yeah, think he's there's great. there's something kind of really 
cool about him and yeah. it is all that scene when he gets pulled out of the water and the way he's still kind of, come on, Faria, you know. Yeah. But Tom Hardy, it's funny, every time someone turns up, you go, oh, I think he's my favourite. Yeah. Oh, I think he's my favourite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and, the, and Tommy is such a beautiful character. Yeah. Like that moment when he... He just go. He just goes straight to sleep, and you go, "Oh man, you fucking deserve this yeah, so much." Yeah. <laughs> Even the look on his face at the end is like, "There's." This is one. What I mean about I don't think it is. Uns- I don't think it is sentimental mm. because the look on his face is a very ambiguous one at that mm. that very last scene. It would have the scene that most people would have finished on is the plane on fire, but going back to that boy. It just reminds you it's a story about very normal people and there's a look of uncertainty because he doesn't know what the future holds well, for him over. or for all of them. Do you know what I mean? It's not over. The but speech it's... that he's just read is we are continuing to fight. Yes. We are going to fight on the beaches and the landing grounds. and Yes. Um, oh, yeah, I've already told you that. Uh, like that, that moment when Tom Hardy's like, you know, good luck. Can you hear me? And he looks and he sees the hand waving and goes, oh, yeah, he's okay. Yeah, goes yeah, yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you see it from the other and he's fucking panicking. Yeah, you get yeah, out yeah, and you yeah. go, oh, my God. Yeah. At least Tom Hardy, while he spends four years in some horrible camp, can think his mate, knows his mate made it to yeah. safety, even if he doesn't quite know. Um, do you ever really want to see Tom Hardy's beautiful face in a movie again or do you just want him to always be masked? <laughs> he has the most expressive eyes in all of Hollywood. Yeah. They're so beautiful. I love him so much. Yeah. Uh, two more questions. George's death is, it's, it's so tragic because no one asks you to be upset. No, it it's just very, dis- yeah, it's a very, yeah, disposable event. Yes. Yeah. When do you think you would have died in Dunkirk? Oh, fuck it. <laughs> I would have fucking dug up someone's pistol and shot myself in the head. I'm like, I'm not that tied to life when it's great, let alone when there's fucking spitfires <laughs> zooming across. Are you fucking kidding me? This, like, live at all costs uh, philosophy, I don't understand it. I'm more than happy to check out and be recirculated back into the universe. I'm all more good. I have a... This fucking bullshit. Up, up, up until... <laughs> uh, you know how I told you that I snapped at my real estate agent yeah, last yeah, yeah. week, which is a story for... I don't, I don't know if I really want to share it with everyone, but I have been driven insane by my real estate agent yeah. and the fact that they are replacing a lift that's right next to my bedroom <laughs> that they said will be five weeks, which I said will not be five weeks, while, and it starts at 7am and the noise here yeah. can be excruciating. Yeah. And so up until the email that I fired up after for months, they did not follow through with their promises to ring and sort some things out. Up until that moment, I would like to have think that I would have landed the plane <laughs> and I would have set it on fire and then I would have gone to camp and been very stoic. Yeah. But now I think I would have been the guy on the boat looking at the Scottish pilot going, where were you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the bloody Air Force? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. would have been Absolutely. me. Yeah, I would yeah, have yeah. snapped. By the way, even, <laughs> even, like, even right at the end, even the plane coming in to land and he can't get the landing gear down, you're still yeah, going, pump, Jesus pump, 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 Christ, pump. what is happening here? Yeah. And final question, which I always ask you, would this work as a TV show? No. It's got to be a hot shot. It's got to be. Got to be a hot shot because the, the, the power of this movie is the sustained anxiety attack. Yes. And that is, and that again is why it has to be a 90 minute movie. It can't be any longer. And that's, that's, where, that's where I come in at the, I think this is technically yeah. the movie. This is a, a, a obviously less violent, but this is an, an hour and a half of the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan. It's that yes. pitch the whole way through of yes. just, I'm, I, just get me out of here. Yes. Um, and I think if you went any longer, it would um, diminish that effect. Yes. Uh, and if you stretch it out of a series, well, it's an impossible uh, tempo to maintain 
uh, over no. a multi-episode thing. Yeah. So you would have to slow down, which then, no, no, no. It needs to be... It, it is what it is. It's it, like, I, I mean this in the best possible way. It is like a virtual reality experience or a theme park ride. Yeah. Not theme park ride in the way Martin Scorsese describes Marvel movies. Uh, theme park ride in the sense that it is an experience yes. that most movies are not. Yes, I agree. Or I'd be happy with seven seasons of me having a nervous breakdown <laughs> while watching tick, 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 12. Tick, 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 oh, my God. Tick, 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 tick. So here are the squid bits for you. I've got some... Uh, once again, I've tried to... By the way, the makings of, which I'm not necessarily into with movies they're for good the most on the Blu-ray. part. Jeez. But the Dunkirk stuff yeah, is good. so fascinating. So uh, Nolan and his wife were inspired to make the movie after they caught a boat to Dunkirk with a friend that hit rough seas and took longer than expected. They left England at 5am and arrived in Dunkirk at 1am. Nolan said, what really struck, stuck with me from the experience was just how extraordinary the notion was of civilians taking small boats across these very difficult waters knowing they are heading into a war zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emma Nolan said most war movies are made from the perspective of generals moving pieces around maps, but this is told from the very normal people's POV. Uh, It was shot on location. They attached the actual IMAX cameras to the planes. Mm. Like, Mm. did you see that? So impressive, isn't it? It's like, because they're such big, big... Big machines. Machines. And the... um, the cinematographer, how do you pronounce his name? Hoyte van Hoytema is he's a bear of a man, yeah, yeah, and yeah. he and it's funny. Like, do, did you see the bit where they, you know, they had they shot some scenes like the the boat sinking on the on the soundstage, and they're in this, you know, they fill up the water, and he's in there, and he's a bit like, ah, this isn't a challenge at all, and he's a bit disappointed. <laughs> so I love that. <laughs> um, what I also liked about watching the uh, the making of is that Nolan was went up in the planes. He was in the water. Uh, he he's really hands on, isn't he? There. Which I don't think I quite realised. And there was, uh, yeah. you know, the scene where they they want to make the close ups of the pilot in the cockpit. They yeah. they rigged a, f- a fake plane cockpit, placed it on the edge of a cliff, looking out at the Pacific Ocean. You can see scenes of Nolan moving it in the direction. Oh, I didn't see it. that. Yeah, wow. And it looks amazing. It yeah. looks like a looks like a ride. You know, yeah, the way yeah, yeah. But he's there moving like so many shots of him somehow still dressed in a suit in the water, <laughs> but like like waterproof suit. I love it. I <laughs> he's love the anti Hitchcock. Apparently Hitchcock wouldn't even look through the um, viewfinder of the camera. Oh, He'd just really? Sit there adjacent to the camera and go, yes, yes, you stand there, you stand there. But he had this, you know, like incredible filmic mind. But he was he was always just completely hands off. Yep. Uh, the RAF did have trouble providing cover due to the amount of fuel they could hold. Soldiers on the beach claimed they never saw the RAF in the skies. One pilot bailed over Dunkirk Beach, had to fight to get on a boat, and was back in the air the day after his return to England. <laughs> As I said, I'd like to think that was me. Uh, Have a feeling. I'm like, where the fuck were you, mate? (laughs) Uh, The RAF actually lost 145 planes in nine days of fighting. The British did really hold back ships and planes with the fall of France Mm. preparing for what came next. Kenneth Branagh's character uh, seems to have been inspired by Captain William Tennant who was on the scene and is credited with doing an astounding job of getting the soldiers to safety. He later fought the Japanese off Singapore and his ship was sunk there. He survived and helped organise D-Day landings and even helped to lay an oil pipeline under the channel to fuel the invasion force. You realise you, you, you don't even belong to the same species as these kind of people, like, right? <laughs> well, I, you know, I wrote these questions. 
<laughs> I got a train here yeah. in the final days of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the pamphlets being dropped were real. Th- yeah. They weren't colour. Right. But that's that's a little thing. Yeah. But that's all right. That's right. Uh, some people have thought that the soldier striding out into the water is a bit on the nose, but that is something that actually happened. Witnesses tell of a man who dropped his gear and turned around and told all of those people that were around him that he was going to walk to England while others had mental breakdowns and wandered off the beach. Yeah, I didn't see that as arch at all. I, no, I, I saw that I. as completely relatable. Yeah, so uh, did I. Have you, ever, have you ever had that illusion where you're walking on a long beach, like that full-on illusion of um, space, spatial illusion, where you're like, oh, I've just got to get to that ridge. Um, and all of a sudden, it's like an hour later and the ridge is further away than it's yes, ever been. Yes, yes. That, that's happened to me a couple of times and I've felt insane in that. Yes. Like, and, you know, I'm well-dressed, it's fine, it's the middle of the day, I'm not being bombed. Yes. And I felt out of my fucking mind. I can't even imagine what a week on an eternal stretch of beach would do to the Jesus, the I've had that performing at the Sydney Opera House. It's <laughs> like, you know, because you don't want to yeah. race to the microphone because that is such a bad look. You just yeah. want to calmly walk yeah. out and you yeah. go and it's like, Jesus, this is a long way. So uh-huh. I can't even imagine <laughs> what something important <laughs> would be like. <laughs> uh, there were real moments when pilots did bail their planes near Royal Navy vessels or small, small boats to be rescued. Um, Spitfires have been reported as gliding without petrol for as long as 15 miles or more. Churchill did want as many French soldiers saved as possible to help encourage them to continue the fight. There were there were fights, though, as the French were in such disarray because there was no policy about evacuation. And then eventually some French soldiers remained uh, behind to cover the British soldiers while they escaped. Um, the last line with Branagh staying behind to help the French implies they had their own Dunkirk. There was an effort that rescued 75,000 soldiers, but the yeah. vast majority who escaped returned to France when Germany occupied it because the country was no longer at war. Mm. So they did return. Like, not that they like the Germans, but it's no longer at war. We may as well go back. Yeah, right. um, what we don't see is that there were African soldiers from Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia and elsewhere who helped delay the German attack. There are also four companies of the Royal Indian Army Service Corps on the beaches. While they only made up a few hundred amongst the thousands there, their service was indispensable and they continued fighting in North Africa and the Middle East. There are some... There are some... Uh, uh, Actors, uh, there are scenes where there's obviously some black Frenchmen yes. and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's, it's, I know that's a criticism, but I think, like, I, I think I understand that you, you, you know, how you said it's sometimes hard to keep up with who's who. Mm. And I think that's part of the reasoning that you have such a bland looking yeah. cast in many ways. Yeah. Uh, one in seven Allied soldiers who retreated to Dunkirk were captured and made prisoners of war. They were even they were then marched to Germany and spent four years in camps. So not a fun ending for Farrier. Yeah. And also suggests to me that Hogan's Heroes is not correct. <laughs> On the opening day for Harry Styles, Nolan looked at him and knew he'd laced his boots incorrectly for the period. They had to rebuild the original mole and the elements there are so violent they'd often wake up to find parts of it smashed and washed out to sea. For some of the soldier extras, they took photos, printed them out so they were size appropriate, painted them, cut them out, stuck them to wire mesh for the long shots. Yeah, very good. So cool when you realise it. Because when you, like, knowing that you're looking, you go, they definitely look like people. Uh, No use of green screens. There were no destroyer ships they could use, so they filmed smaller ships that looked appropriate and then just played with the scale to Mm -hmm. make them seem larger. 
So the score is essentially non-stop except for two minutes, uh, two moments. One after Harry Styles is saved from being crushed, and when Tommy goes to sleep, it just yep. stops immediately. They use the Shepherd Tone audio illusion, which is a sound that creates the auditory illusion of a tone that seems to continually ascend or descend in pitch, yet which ultimately gets no higher or lower. Mm. Every time the movie was edited, they'd have to rearrange the whole audio landscape to fit the new version of of the movie. There are no quick edits in the film. IMAX cameras allow the opportunity to linger and let the audience find the action. That's interesting, isn't it? So you're not being told, I've got to be feeling this. You're just watching it and feeling it naturally. Nolan reached out to Spielberg to prepare for making the movie. Spielberg sent him a print of Saving Private Ryan that had only been watched 12 times. Spielberg's advice was to put the research first and foremost to best tell the story of what happened on that beach. Nolan originally wanted to film the movie without a script because he felt he had an understanding of the scope and the movement of the story. His wife Emma looked at him as if he were insane and basically told him that wouldn't cut it. He turned around and wrote a 76-page script and wondered if he should double-space it because it was so short. <laughs> uh, the, a lot of the film was uh, made at Dunkirk and was also filmed during the anniversary of the operation, I think the 76th yeah, right. anniversary. Yeah. Michael Caine's voice is the commander on the other end of Tom Hardy's radio. He's the one who says, make sure you can still come home. And uh, Nolan said it is a bit of a nod to his character in the Battle of Britain. 30 veterans of the battle said the noise in the movie is louder than what they expected, <laughs> uh, uh, what they experienced, according to Branagh. And Branagh said this tickled Nolan to hear. He yeah, really enjoyed that. Yeah. The, the reason the noise discrepancy is because on the, on the beach, it's so vast that yeah. the noise dissipates. Of course. The veterans did agree. Only that, Nolan would make a movie that's louder than an actual war, though. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> It made me laugh even reading it. <laughs> the veterans did agree that nearly everything else was almost exactly as they remembered, mm. though. Uh, Harry Styles was cast mainly because he has an old-fashioned face, and Nolan rep- remarked, I don't think I was that aware, really, of how famous Harry was. <laughs> <laughs> must have been, there must have been a moment with his wife. It's a, Look at this. Oh, <laughs> you, can, you know when you sometimes think of these people and what, what their quiet moments are like and it's probably them watching some clips going, oh, oh he's actually uh, oh, who a is really this one direction? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the score by Hans Zimmer literally used the ticking of one of Nolan's watches. Nolan owns a watch with a particularly insistent ticking, so he recorded it and sent it to Hans Zimmer. They began building the track out of that sound. Nolan didn't think of Dunkirk as a war movie. He thought of it as a suspense film. And my final fact is an RAF pilot probably wouldn't have been able to shoot down a dive bomber while gliding, but fuck everyone, that scene is super Great cool. scene. Come on. Especially the moment when you think, oh my God, are they about to kill Kenneth Branagh? And he surrendered to and it as well. And he surrenders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know? So uh, any last thoughts on Dunkirk? I feel like we covered everything. Yeah, I think we did. And I definitely enjoyed it this time more than I ever have. Um, having a lot of that kind of initial uh, panic uh, out of the way and able to just kind of track the characters a bit more and I do think it's um, it's not a movie I love because movies that I love kind of uh, you know I'm, I'm, I'm more of a fan of like linear narrative or you know big bold character arcs and stuff uh, but it is a movie that as I said I enjoy as an experiential kind of like you know once every couple of years, oh yeah, let's fucking go there. Let's it's, do that. It's funny. I had a real urge to rewatch it as soon as I finished the script. 
Yeah, right. Like I was like, oh, maybe maybe I could just watch it again. It only goes an hour and forty minutes. So, but it's funny, isn't it? Like when you when you list his movies and you like this movie for this reason, you like that movie, and Dunkirk kind of weirdly slips through yeah. the. The, the the lists like yeah. I think when I was on Fofop with Will Anderson I maybe had Dunkirk a bit lower but I think I've done it a disservice because I think it's um I I do I think it's probably I think what it, I think what it elicits from the viewer is so it's such an extreme reaction that you need to it's not something you're going to chuck on on a Sunday afternoon to just have on in the background right but, you know it's like you know it's similar to um a lot of you know like a, a Lynch movie yes you kind of got to be Open it. to being taken to a place that isn't necessarily comfortable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then that means we've got one more Nolan movie to cover, yeah. and that will be Tenant, and that'll be fun because it'll be really extraordinary to talk about a movie that made three hundred and fifty million dollars, but Americans are still convinced wasn't a hit. <laughs> Thank you to Ben Elwood for helping me dig into Dunkirk. That was a fun podcast, right? I feel like we found some new angles and uh, some new thoughts about that movie. I was quite surprised at where it went and I was the one who was writing all the questions. (laughs) Anyway, you'll be able to see Ben in all his glory at our FOMUS show on December 13. So if you come down to Giant Dwarf, please make a fuss of him. Let my good friend know how much you enjoy his work. He's he's very humble and he gets a little bit embarrassed. So I would like him to receive some props and I would also like to watch him being awkward <laughs> while you're really nice to him. Uh, so remember, you can buy tickets for it in person or for the show online at giantdwarf.com.au. Uh, Tenet will be in a couple of weeks, but next week we're going to have Cal Wilson... And uh, that's a fun podcast. That'll be an interesting one. I'll tell you more about that in the intro on uh, on that particular show. Anyway, there's a bit of backstory to that one. But anyway, Cal Wilson's fantastic. Uh, Toby Hemingway, who's a, a writer and a singer-songwriter, he is going to be on talking about his new book and a little snippet of a conversation I had with Eliza Scanlon. She had just won... Best Actor at the Actor Awards, and she'd won for Baby Teeth. And I'd seen her in Sharp Objects and thought she was outstanding. And then I saw her in Baby Teeth and thought she was wonderful in that as well. And I was actually doing it as a favour for someone else. And then it was, you know, the audio probably goes for like four or five minutes or whatever, but she was so delightful and I really liked her and I thought she was just a, a really nice young person. You know, she's 22 and you just think, wow, look at all the talent you have now. I can't wait to see what you're doing in 10 years' time or 15 or 20. So I'll throw that in as well with a review of Baby Teeth, which is a wonderful Australian movie that if you get an opportunity, uh, please check it out. If you enjoyed today's show, uh, please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you do have time, if you can give us a nice rating and uh, possibly a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be appreciated. I essentially produce this podcast on nothing but love. So any help is consistently appreciated. So thank you very much for that. Let's finish with a quote from Tom Hardy. 
I have to tell you, I love this quote. Some people don't understand that sitting in your own house, alone in peace, eating snacks and minding your business is fucking priceless. (laughs) I don't think I've agreed with a quote more (laughs) than this one. I hope you enjoyed that as well. Thanks for hanging out. Until then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.